0: Hello, and welcome everyone to our podcast today, where we're going to focus on the value for money propositions within the EU RIS strategy, the retail investment strategy. Um, The value for money proposals alongside inducements, it really is a big ticket item in the EU RIS, and it's certainly generating an awful lot of interest within our clients to date. And I think that we're going to see that interest continue over the course of these proposals. Look, Today we're just sharing some of our immediate thoughts on the value for money proposal and of course at a high level overview the aim of the Commission seems clear that manufacturers and distributors of investment products will be required to ensure that these products bring value for money to investors with a particular focus although not exclusively on retail investors. Um, just a couple of immediate observations, while the, I, the RIS is um, generally proposing significant changes for MIFID and IDD firms, the value-for-money aspects are squarely bringing in USITs and AFMs. So the net of those in-scope firms for the value-for-money sleeve of this initiative is significantly broader than some of the other topics that we've covered and that the RIS focus on. Um, and also just an interesting observation those of you that are listening and that have familiar or are um, are familiar with the UK regulatory regime will feel in somewhat familiar territory um Certain sleeves of the UK investment market have been carrying out value assessments on their products for some time, and the wider UK retail market is, of course, now moving towards a requirement to deliver value for customers through the new consumer duty, which is coming into play in the UK at the end of July 2023. Um, So an overall focus by UK and EU regulators on valuation and pricing. Now, while there are similarities between them, there are differences in the regime. And one of our kind of Focuses as a firm moving forward is going to be able to undertake a comparability between the two regimes, and we know there is criticism, criticism potentially coming out on the EU sleeve for being too focused on pure costs and is actually value always related to costs. But um, we'll do that, and we're going to continue on that focus in the broader um, sense over the coming months. But today we wanted to focus a little bit on actually what is being said in the proposals. Um, and you know, uh, and share our thoughts with you. And I'm delighted to be joined by James McKnight from our Dublin office, because no doubt, James, this is uh, the Irish industry is kind of, I'm sure, with their, they've got their kind of ears and eyes perked up in this topic.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, post Brexit and even before then, there's um, quite a number of user management companies and, and AFMs that have been established in Ireland. I think, um, you know, as you said, Plenty of those uh, proprietary managers would be kind of used to this as a concept, but um, the the third party industry in in Ireland, this will be something that will be relatively new to a lot of them. Yeah. So, in terms of like the topic itself, it's obviously quite broad. So I think it's you know it's helpful to break it down into three sub areas. Um, and the first of that uh, that we'd like to cover would be the enhanced pricing process process that's being proposed for MIFID firms. Uh, and that's done by way of an enhancement of the product govern- current gov- uh, product governance, uh, governance requirements, and then also the requirement separately to establish a pricing process for usage managers and AIFMs. Uh, the second is the requirement within these processes uh, to benchmark costs and charges yeah, against yeah. these, um, uh, the I suppose, infamous ESMA or eopia uh, pricing benchmarks. And for MIFID firms, this will be in respect to products falling within the PRIPS regime, and then for usage managers and AFIMs, uh, this will be in respect to costs and charges being borne by retail investors. So to your point, um, that there is a particular retail spin on, on, on many other requirements um, in this, Catherine. And then on, on the third uh, sub uh, area is around the requirement that usage managers and AFIMs ensure that costs incurred by investors are not undue. So, I mean, if you can, Break those down a little bit further uh, and then starting with the the pricing process i think you know the overall concept of having a process is relatively uncontroversial um, and there hasn't been too much uh, backlash or noise and um, as a high level principle um, and in essence you know what what it's really getting at is that firms just need to establish a, a pricing process there's a slight difference depending on your regulatory status so for if firms uh, this is required for products that fall within the definition of PRIPS uh, um, and then for for usage managers and AFIMS uh, the pricing process is required irrespective of invest, investor type. Uh, there will be some uh, delegated regulations to support the development of the pricing process and to give firms guidance as to what they actually need to do but based on what we have so far some high level observations are that the process Will need to identify and quantify all costs borne by the product uh, and the unit hold- the unit holders of their product. Retail products there's a, an extra layer that you need to take into account uh, in that there's a further assessment as whether the costs and charges are justified and proportionate, uh, having regard to the char- characteristics and the objective of the product. And then MIFID, MIFID firms will need to make available to distributors all the information. Uh, with respect to the financial instruments and the product approval processes, uh, to include complete and accurate details on any costs and charges on the instrument. Um, there's, there seems to be a requirement for users, managers, and AFEMs, um although albeit it's a less obvious requirement to share information than the distribution chain. Um, so well, you know, while it's not one hundred percent clear that this will be the case, it, you know. It's, the question arises as to whether or not it's likely that this will make its way into the process in one form or another. Um, MIFID distributors are also in scope of this requirement and they'll similarly need to de- develop a, a pricing process. Um, and then there's a requirement also to report to home state regulators uh, the data relating to costs and charges. Um, And this is just a growing example and we'll cover it a little bit later on on undue costs as well uh, about the, you know, increased level of reporting that's required and the operational um, difficulties that, that that brings with it.
0: Yeah, so I think, yeah, I think your initial point about look. We haven't had an awful lot of backlash on the principle of developing a pricing process. And we know internally lots of, you know, lots of managers and MIFID firms and these entities have pricing, you know, rigorous pricing processes. And I think it's just going to be now that it's going to be more statutorily defined. People are, um, I think, you know, it feels to me that this is one that's going to stick in whatever guise and in detail, but the the pricing process is one theme is certainly something that's going to, th- to stick. I mean, the second sub-theme you mentioned, James, which of course I think is the big the big item in yeah. these benchmarks you know um i don't quite know if uh, the same in level of controversy whether the same can be said about the uh, the requirement to undertake so within one of the pricing processes one of them is going to be to undertake a re- comparison and um, exercise in the cost and charges of products and services against regulatory developed benchmarks and there's loads of noise already out in the industry of here Um, and the question is what like what is really being proposed here I think you know um, a new part of the process will introduce this specific requirement to compare costs and charges with um, the cost and performance benchmarks which you said ESMA and IOPA are being kind of um, required to establish And then where a product deviates from a relevant benchmark, firms are going to have to perform additional testing and further assessments and establish whether actually the costs and charges are nevertheless justified and proportionate. And if not, the product cannot be approved and distributors cannot offer and recommend them. Um, and again, I just want to make one point is that for miFId manufacturers and distributors the benchmarking exercise is in respect of products in scope of crips and for use it's in afms it captures costs which are borne by retail investors so it's a little bit unclear to me what well, you know sometimes where in that kind of distribution chain does professional start and retail end if you know what I mean you've got this if the 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 test is borne by retail investors. So there's, you know, and there is, but there is scope to delineate. If you're very squarely in the professional field and sitting there only, then the benchmarks will be less of a concern for you. But if you have products that end up in the hands of, of retail, you are going to get some challenge. Do you know? Um, you want to give any flavour, James, on, on what these benchmarks are? Any any kind of nuggets to share, anything you're uh, hearing?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, industry confusion, I think. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure there's much uh, light that I'll be able to shed on them on this um, until, you know, it's one of these things where uh, there's a concept kind of put out there and then, you know, the market kind of figures it out over time. And I think this will be something similar. I mean, ESMA and Aopia are, are empowered to develop uh, the benchmarks and, and make them publicly available. You know, there, there should be a, a set of common benchmarks for products, which present similar levels of performance and risk strategy, objectives, uh, other characteristics. And that allows that, you know, the idea with that was that it will allow firms to undertake a comparative assessment of costs and performance um, of the instruments that are being manufactured and sold. Um, and the benchmarks, so the idea will is that they will display a range of costs and performance and they'll be updated regularly. Uh, there is, you know, a fair bit of uncertainty around what these benchmarks will look like. Um, in terms of you know the methodology for how they developed uh, the range of options uh, uh, or benchmarks options which will be made available, you know, how firms will elect into a benchmark, uh, you know what happens if no benchmarks are available, what do you do, uh, and how wide or tight the benchmarks will be. So uh, the questions and concerns will go on, and I think you know the more people actually delve into this, the more questions that they'll have. So it's just something that I think that will, the market will need to grapple with over. Over the next while, but uh, no firm answers as of yet, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, and lots of, I think this is an area where we're seeing clients really interested in the lobbying efforts. So, um, and we expect lobbying to continue with some ferocity here. So I think if you are um, interested in this area, I think you should be kind of looking at your lo- kind of, you know, local, like or your, you know, lobbying um, lobbying groups that will be kind of following your kind of strategy and, and, and engaging with them. But this, I think, yeah, definitely not the end of the story for benchmarks. Yeah. Now, on the other the other hand, of course, then we have the third limb, which are the, um, the third limb under this value for money or VFM is the push to ensure that investors do not incur undue costs via their holding for um, usits and Aves. Now this is undue cost is very much in the world of usits and Aves. it's not a mifid related concept so we're just flipping over to usits and usage and Um usage and, AAPS, um, and uh, there seems to be a lot of interest about ensuring that investors don't incur undue costs. Is that are you hearing that as well at your end?
1: Yeah so I mean I guess it's going to be part of the, the the pricing process that we mentioned earlier that uses mancos and items will uh, need to develop so you know essentially to ensure ensure the costs are not undue quote unquote um you know it, it's it's not something that's going to be limited to retail investors um and it'll be well I mean I suppose with the majority of Usage that are set up really in Ireland they're um although it's a it's a retail product and the majority of investors in most usage i think are are, are non retail so, but it will be a requirement that nonetheless will apply to usage uh and apes the I think the requirement um it it will be kind of assessed on an annual basis, so you know you'll have this uh, scenario where as and mancos as part of their pricing process they need to get to the end of the year and look back twelve months to determine whether or not any undue costs have been charged for the or the usage to which they act as manager uh, or any of the u- unit holders in there, uh, which, you know, when you kind of think about what that might entail for a very frequently dealing fund, um, it's certainly going to present a lot of a lot of headaches, um, in particular, because if any undue costs have been charged, the Eiffelment or the usage Manco, as the case may be, will need to report it to the regulator, so more reporting, also to the auditor, so presumably they'll, um, they'll uh, You'll need to include something in your annual accounts that will be provided to the unit holders and then to the de- to the depository as well who who have certain obligations with regard to unit holders in the in the funds to which they are acting as depository the the very very tricky one uh will be around in particular for again for those funds that are frequently dealing around the reimbursement of investors um it, we you, We should expect that there'll be some sort of de minimis threshold uh, which sets the level at which um, uh, reimbursement will be required Um, because you know when you when you think about you know in particular usage that needs to deal at least twice monthly investors coming in and out you know when you discover that there's undue costs that have been charged at a certain point in time in the year uh, trying to track you know when people came in who bore what um, you know it's going to be really Quite difficult to put a watertight uh, procedure in, in, in place for that and determine the level of com- uh, compensation that's due, um, and that have been charged to investors.
0: Yeah, um, and of course while they're in the fund. Yeah, and we we of course have seen the recent ESMO opinion um, to the Commission in May 2023 20, um, on undue costs, um, which are suggesting a more granular approach to undue mm. costs, and they include a proposal to identify what costs are deemed due and undue, so quite an important read in connection with this undue cost limb of the value for money proposal. Um, Okay, so some um, observations, so, you know, focusing, this is like focusing on ensuring value for investors by putting like discipline on costs charged to the fund and the unit holders. However, like some are saying that the current proposals and the undue costs, it's a little bit like marking your own homework. You know, ultimately, it's the A from the Manco at the end of the year need to determine whether costs are due or undue. So you can see that there are inherent conflicts there, and um, the implications you mentioned of determining that actually undue costs have occurred are pretty significant both in making a determination that in effect you have, you know, concluded that investors have been overcharged, and the administrative burden that's going to flow from that, you know, ultimately have there been some form of NAV misstatements, never easy things to manage, and also the kind of reputational implications, because this is obviously a reportable um, matter now. And so you do have that kind of um, question about how rigorously firms are going to arrive at the costs, at the determination that costs are due or undue. and um, and you know I'm, I'm jumping to conclusions here, about the question of whether or not it might end up to some form of independence coming because in the UK we have independent um, directors sitting on our AFMs and they their responsibility for determining the value for money, but we don't have this undue cost notion. So certainly an interesting development yeah. there. But uh,
1: and yeah, I mean you know I think it, it will uh, it kind of. Obviously, there's quite a lot of importance about the work that you put into your pricing processes at the start. But, you know, the last thing the firms will want is to get to the end of the year and for it not to be clear, you know, or, you know, you need to kind of set out a framework that's as clear as possible. So by the time you get to the end of the year, you know, you, it's, the, the, you know, the, yeah. yeah, the determination that you're going to make is, uh, you know, should, should be easy. Well, not easy, but, um, you know, you'll, you'll have the framework there to, to help you do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the last thing that firms will want to do is, get to the end of the year and then kind of be scratching their heads to say are these due or undue and the pricing process isn't clear on it and um, so you know you kind of better to front load that work and effort and really build something that's uh that's robust so uh, you know make sure your, your life easier at the end of the year i
0: think I think you're right. And look, we know that under this value for money initiative, more broadly, the kind of most controversial, although we've spent a lot of time talking about undue costs, the most controversial aspect is definitely the benchmarks. We know that there's heavy, heavy lobbying there. If there is movement from the commission on the benchmarks, we're not saying there is because we've no insight on that. We do expect the pressures for having a kind of the pressures on the undue costs are likely to mount up significantly. So look, I think this is slightly longer than we had planned originally, James, on the, on the value for money. But for those listening, look, we hope you found that useful. There are initial observations, but certainly an area of the RIS where we know um, clients are interested and lots of lobbying. So um, do, um, do continue to listen as we kind of drop more and more podcasts on this area. And as I said, we'll be focusing significantly on the value for money over the course of the coming months. Thanks so much, everyone.
1: My